0: Thank the Lord. Well, if you have your bulletin, please take from it the sheet that says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. I have quite a few scriptures there that I thought we would provide for you, and you wouldn't have to be turning. But I have a lot more references there than scriptures that we will read. But when you hear something that makes you say. Is that true? Is that right? Is what he said really in the Bible? I'm giving you the references here so you can go back and read those things. And check on those if you like. I'll tell you God's word is something else. Wonderful it is. Precious it is. Important, for sure, it is. And I wonder if we really appreciate it as we should. In First Chronicles, as I began here today, there is a reference in chapter 12, verse 32 about an, a man with which most of us are probably unfamiliar. I don't know that any of us know a lot about this man, but here's this pronunciation given in this passage. It says, The sons of Issachar, excuse me, the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Is that a compliment, you think? For... God's word to declare about these individuals, these sons of Ishakar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I'll tell you somebody else who had understanding of the times. Remember in the Bible, and we celebrate this around Christmas time, remember after Jesus was born, The Bible says that there were wise men from the East who came from afar. These wise men were not Jewish. These wise men were not, quote, Christian, but they were people who had been studying God's Word, and they recognized the signs. Don't have time to go into all of this, but they knew the timing was about right because of their studies. And when this star appeared, they knew that something was up and they followed this star to where the Christ was because they had some understanding of the times. At the same time, however, the masses, most of the people didn't have a clue what was going on. Bethlehem was crowded. The rooms were full. There was a census taking place. And the people who knew about the birth of the Savior, the impending birth of the Savior, the imminent birth of the Savior, they were about zero. Mary and Joseph knew, but not many others would have even known. Even after Christ was born, it wasn't well known because these people did not have an understanding of the times. I would suggest to you today that there are many, many people in this world today that don't have a clue of understanding the times. They don't have a clue what's coming on this earth. They don't understand how close it is. They don't recognize the signs that are so obvious as we look into the word of the Lord. And so today I just wanted to share that as a way to get us into maybe a proper frame of mind to give context to this passage of scripture, passage of scripture we're going to read in Joel chapter 2. On Wednesday evening, we studied through this passage somewhat, or through the book of Joel anyway, and I skipped this passage, making it obvious And stated that we would be coming back to it today. This is probably one of the most um, notable. One of the most popular. Most recognizable passages in the book of Joel. Chapter 2 verse 28. Where the Bible says it shall come to pass afterward. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants. And on my maid servants. I will pour out my spirit. In those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now if you would turn. And I don't want you to turn this. is I'm just stating here. If you were to turn to Joel chapter 1 and begin a study of this passage, you would discover that in chapter 1 there is, this, there is this lengthy description of this great catastrophic event that has come upon Israel. The locust, the canker worm, the destroying worm, the chewing locust, all of these insects have come one after another. There is no grass. There are no leaves. The bark has been stripped from the trees by these insects. There is a famine. There's not only a famine, but there's also a drought. There's no food to eat. Even the cows, the cattle in the field and the animals are lowing and and bawling and groaning because of this terrible, devastating event that has come. And so... The Bible goes on to tell them that they need to repent. They need to call on the Lord. They need to cry out to God. And if they do that, then God will hear. And as you go through chapter 2, you get to, to this um, day of the Lord that is being described. This horrible event. This terrible event. Listen... Would you agree with me that it would be a terrible event if in the next 10 days all the leaves disappeared off the trees? All the bark was chewed off the trees. All the grass was gone. All the crops were gone. Everything alive was gone and had been eaten away. The ponds were dried up. The rivers were dry. And disease and pestilence spreading throughout the land. Would that be something we should get concerned about? It would be. And that's the way it was there. It was a terrible thing. It was a, it was a scene that, that uh, Joel said it hasn't been seen before. Nothing like this has ever happened before. A devastating, terrible, horrible thing. Cry out to God. Everybody needs to get concerned, he said. The priests need to come and weep between the porch and the altar. An alarm needs to be sounded. Blow the trumpet. Sound an alarm. Call a solemn assembly. Everybody come together and pray and cry out because of this terrible thing that's happening. And then it tells us that the Lord will hear the prayers of the people and will deliver them from that dilemma. Now, as we will get back to that in a moment, now we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read parts of the same passage. Acts chapter 2, most of you are familiar with this. another passage that is quite recognizable to most of us. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, this is the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Most of you are familiar with what transpired there, how that there were things that could be seen, there were things that could be heard, there were recognizable signs that God was up to something, and the people began to speak in languages that they have never learned before. Others who knew those languages were standing by and say, what in the world is going on? These people are speaking in our own tongues, verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Now listen to the next couple of verses, verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, whatever could this mean? In other words, some people were gen, 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 not generally, genuinely. Some of them were genuinely interested. They didn't understand, but they had open hearts. And they were genuinely interested in what was taking place. But then the next verse in verse 13 said, Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. Oh, they've just been drinking. And that's what's going on here. So there, there were two very distinct perceptions about what was taking place. One group was open to it. They'd never seen it before. I'll tell you what. The 12 who were in the upper room. The 120 who were in the upper room. They'd never seen it before either. And they didn't understand it either. But they followed what the Lord was was putting on their hearts. And putting in their minds. And they were obedient to the Lord. And began to, to speak with these languages that they had never learned before. So some were perplexed. What could this mean? And others were mocking. But then Peter To clarify things, if you will. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Verse 16 says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, whom we just read just a moment ago. Verse 17, he's preaching now, Peter is. And he's using as his text, the one we just read from the book of Job, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, can everybody say last days? It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, that is the last days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into the darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved so we've read it from Joel we've read it now from the book of Acts as uh, the apostle Peter is giving some context to that now I'd like for us to take a look at this next slide oh there's the mountains How many have ever been to the mountains? On our way home from our church conference last weekend, Joy and I made an executive decision. We decided to take Monday and go to the mountains instead of coming home. So this is a picture that I made standing on Grandfather Mountain last Monday across the mountains and the valleys. Now, you can't see it here because it's so far away. But on my phone, I can actually take that. You know how you can enlarge your pictures on the phone? From that one picture there, as I enlarge it, I can count ten different mountains. Ten. As a matter of fact, across those high mountains in the back, I can look and see another mountain and another mountain and another mountain when that picture is enlarged. Now, as you stand there, you don't really see but about three. I'm standing on one, there's a big one, and then another big one behind it. But the picture, when you actually look closer at it, is much bigger than that. And there's mountains all over. There are mountains behind mountains. There are mountains there that you can't even see because they're hidden behind a mountain. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that's the way it is with biblical prophecy. In biblical prophecy, sometime, for instance, if we're studying Joel, all we can see is that first mountain. But there are other mountains behind it and all around it. And then if we take go around that mountain and look, we see another one. Well, that might represent Isaiah. Isaiah's got a lot of things to say prophetically. Amen? What about Jeremiah? Didn't he have some things to say prophetically too? And so there's another mountain. And then Ezekiel, he had some things to say. And then all the minor prophets had things to say. And then John the Revelator had some things to say about the end time. And Daniel had some things to say. So all of these different prophets as they spoke, what I'd like for you to understand is when you're looking at one prophecy in Scripture... There may be dozens of others that interconnect with it from the other prophets that you can't see when you look at Joel. But the others will, like if you go around that mountain there, go around and look to the other side of the mountain, a whole different view and a whole different perspective will open up. Am I right? You can be going up Black Mountain and all you can see is Black Mountain going into Asheville, correct? But once you get to the top of that mountain, you see all these dozens of mountains all around you. That's the way it is with prophecy. The prophecy in the scripture from different prophets does not contradict each other. It does not exclude each other. They're not in competition with one another, but they all give a different perspective about the things of God so that if you look at all of them together, you can see them mountain range but when you're looking from the book of joel all you see is one important thing perhaps you don't get all the bigger picture you don't get chronology things aren't put in order for us in the bible when it comes to bible prophecy there's still some things we don't know about the events of the end time and the order in which they will happen but i will declare to you that if the bible says they will happen they will happen It will come to pass. We may not understand on this side of glory exactly how it's going to be put together. But you can take it to the bank. God's word will not fail. It will all be fulfilled up to the last jot and tittle and comma and dotting of an eye. Every bit of God's word is going to come to pass. So as we look at the word of God, we have this this big picture that can be some way um, symbolized by this picture that you see there. I think this is significant because Joel was the first of the writing prophets. Now, what does that mean? There are a lot of prophets in Scripture whose names are not attached to a book of the Bible. You take Elijah is a prophet, right? Elijah called fire down from heaven. I talked about Elijah earlier in the service today. He was a prophet, but there's no book in the Bible called Elijah. But some of the prophets had messages that were recorded... Um, under the sovereignty of God that we needed to have access to, that he wanted us to understand. And Joel was one of those, one of many prophets that are named in Scripture and actually have a book named after them. But this book of Joel was the Joel was the first of the writing prophets. He's the first prophet that we have in the Bible chronologically. He's the earliest prophet that had a name attached to his message that we still have today. Now, I think that's significant because you can look at the big picture in the book of Joel, and here's what happens. Great catastrophe is coming upon the earth because of man's sin. If we will return and turn to God, God will hear our cries and forgive our sins. But if we will not listen to God, then there's the day of the Lord that's on its way, and all of us are going to have to answer to the Lord, make our own decision. It's individual, folks. When earlier in the service I talked about worship being an individual thing, nobody can worship but you, for you. Nobody can do it. God has no grandchildren. You're either a child of God or you're not. Because mom and daddy are Christians, doesn't make you a Christian. Because mom and daddy are right with God doesn't make you right with God. You have to be right with God for yourself as an individual decision. And I will tell you today that you're going to make a decision that's going to be extremely important because you're, you're going to experience some great things in the last days. Oh, there's some wonderful things going to happen in the last days. There's going to be a rapture. Amen. Anybody, anybody want to be involved in the rapture? There's going to be a resurrection. All of the, the dead in Christ shall rise. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that's a great thing that's going to happen in the future. We're going to be transferred. If we, if we don't die first, we're going to be raptured away and carried into heaven. Changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's a wonderful thing. There's some great things going to happen in the last days. But I'm going to tell you, there's also some great things of a bad nature that are going to happen in the last days. See, great doesn't always mean good. That thing that happened in the book of Genesis after Noah built the ark, we call that the great flood. It wasn't good, was it? Not for all the people on earth. Great just means big. Huge, large. There's some great good things coming our way, but I'm going to tell you what, there's some great bad things that are coming this way. Humongous things, mind-boggling things, things that really, quite frankly, we don't want anything to do with. We're going to take a, a real quick jaunt through scripture, and that's why I've written this down for you, because my, comment, my commentary will be limited, because I want you to hear this and also be able to take it with you. The last days, and how many have ever heard of the last days? Last days are talked about a lot of times in Scripture. The last days in the Scripture should not be limited to 24 hours. Now, I know that says 14. I don't know whether to blame that on a big finger when I was typing or eyes that never noticed it. I did proofread the thing and I never saw it. It's 24 hours. We all know that, right? 24 hours in a day. The last days in the Scripture are not limited to 24-hour days. Second Peter 3 verse 8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Since the time of Christ, let me illustrate this to you this way. Since the time of Christ, there have been approximately how many days? Anybody want to guess? Well, let's not waste time. About 750,000 days. We've had about 750,000 days since the time of Christ. Now I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag for you here. The Bible teaches us that the last days began with Christ. From the time that Christ came, anything after that is referred to in Scripture as the last days. You've got scriptures here to prove that if you'll take them home and read them. Everything after Christ is considered to be the last days. So that we can understand why, as we'll read in a moment, there may be scoffers. There may be doubters. There may be people says, you Christians have been singing Jesus is coming soon for 50 years. We've been singing it longer than that because I'm older than that. And I can remember it a long time ago. We used to sing, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Anybody ever remember songs like that? And and so the people who are Christians or the people who are not Christians look at us and say, y'all crazy. Y'all been singing that song. Y'all been talking that message. Y'all been preaching that stuff. You've been preaching it for years and years and years. It hadn't happened yet. You know there's nothing to that. And the Bible says there's people who do that. But you know what? God doesn't count time like we do. And we just read that a day with the, is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is a day. Well, it's been 2,000 years. So if you take that literally, that'd be a couple days in God's timing. I'm going to tell you, when the Bible says this is the last days, you can take it to the bank. These are the last days. As a matter of fact, I believe that we're living in the last of the last days as I speak now. Now, I know that this is not encouraging to some people, especially young people. I know that because I can remember when I was, before I was married and when I was young, and I would hear messages about the rapture and I'd hear messages about the second coming and I'd hear messages about the last days and I didn't like the idea that it could be any day. Because I had a life to live. I had a future. Just things I wanted to do. So I get it sometimes when we don't get excited about that. But that doesn't change the fact that it's coming. And in somebody's generation, maybe even in our lifetimes, Jesus is going to come. The rapture is going to take place. And a lot of these things we read about in scripture are going to happen. The events in the word of God are going to unfold. I don't know when it will be. It may be in the next 30 days. It may be in the next 30 years. It may be longer than that. I don't know. It may be another 100 years. I can't imagine that hardly by what I see taking place in the world today. I can't see it being another 50 years by what I see because I'm going to tell you we are so close. In the latter days, Some very positive and exciting things will happen. The kingdom of God will be set up. I'm not going to read the verses. You've got those. The rapture will take place as well as the resurrection. But some very tragic events will unfold as well. The day of the Lord will bring death, destruction, and judgment to those who have rejected God. Now here's one passage I've I've just got to read. I was reading this the other day. And man, it's like almost... Almost like I had a vision. I'm not going to tell you I had a vision, but it, it was so vivid to me when I read this. I thought, oh my goodness, that could happen today. I can see that happening today. I can see the technology. I can see, I can see the, the things exist to make this happen, just like the Bible says. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 14, this is talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a horrible thing. The Bible says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. And in the day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. And one of these days the Lord is coming back. I'm going to skip to verse 12 and I want you to listen to what happens when God fights against those who have stood against Israel and are fighting against Israel. Verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. I want to read that again. This will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Listen to this. Their flesh shall dissolve... While they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. And their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day. That a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor. And raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Does that sound like a horrible thing to you? What is it? In our world today that we hear about on the news just about every day, what is it that makes that verse very possible to be fulfilled in the snap of a finger? Nuclear warfare. And that's exactly what we hear about that. When, when something like that is set off, when something like that happens, it just melts your body like wax and it just disappears because of the detonation of nuclear warfare, nuclear bombs. I'll tell you, when I read the Bible and I see things like that, things that it shall come to pass in the last days, the day of the Lord, and I see how the the technology and things seem to, I mean, we're watching this on the news every night, like we're trying to forestall this and keep it from happening. I hope we do keep it from happening in our lifetimes, don't you? But at some point in time, there's going to be some idiot who gets a hold of a nuclear bomb and you're going to see things like this begin to happen. And when the people of the world and all the nations gather together against Jerusalem, you can take it to the bank. That's the way it's going to look. The appearance of the Antichrist, I don't know. It's possible the Antichrist could be alive right now, walking on the earth. And we don't know who he is yet. Could be that soon. But Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 informs us that we have been in the last days since the time of Christ. Peter agreed that the days in which we lived in were indeed the last times. James also acknowledged that he lived in the last days. John went even farther when he stated that this is it is the last hour, he said. Jesus spoke of the last day as a day in which he would raise up those who believed in him. He also tells us that the end of the age will be characterized by the following. False Christs. Wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, troubles. Many will be offended. They'll turn on each other. There will be lawlessness. Love will grow cold. But then the Bible says, he who endures to the end will be saved. And as I read this this past week, here's what came to my mind. You cannot outrun what God has decreed. I don't like the idea. As a matter of fact, I despise the idea that among the people of God, even, we could see things like this. We could see many will be offended. Many will turn on each other. Their love will grow cold. And we're going to read another passage in a few moments, which emphasizes this. I I don't like that. That should not exist among the people of God. But sometimes it does. But the Bible says, he... Who endures to the end will be saved. What about those who don't endure to the end? You see you cannot outrun. What God has decreed. And the judgments he has declared. So we need to make up our minds. My brothers and sisters. That we are going to be overcomers. That we are going to endure to the end. The very thought. The very statement that that represents is that there's going to be hard times, there's going to be troubles, there's going to be things you'd rather not go through because endure is not a positive word as far as the way it feels. You don't like to endure. The very meaning of the word means something negative. Almost the opposite of endure would be enjoy. Some of you this morning may feel like you're enduring this sermon. Endure is not a pleasant thing. Endure implies some degree of negativity. But the Bible says we better learn to endure because those who endure to the end will be saved. There's going to be some things. There are some things already. There's going to be more things coming upon this earth that you're not going to like and I'm not going to like. And we're going to have to make up our mind to endure to the end. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1-5 through tells us, But we know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Listen to what's described here about people. For men will be lovers of themselves. You know any of those? Lovers of money, boasters, proud people, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Incidentally, disobedient to parents is a horrible thing because if children don't learn to be obedient to their parents, they're not going to learn to be obedient to anybody. If you're not taught to respect your parents, you won't respect the policeman. If you're not taught to respect your parents, you won't respect the teacher or the principal. So it begins at home. What a wonderful lesson that is and and something very important for us. We have to understand being disobedient to parents is problematic. Unthankful. Listen to this list. Unthankful. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, that's people who don't tell the real truth about a situation and other people, people without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, you know anybody that's headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away and, and All of that is pandemic in our society. Second Peter 3 verses 3 and 9 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Walking according to the own lust. It's the Burger King philosophy. Have it your own way. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, it goes on to say, as some count slackness, but His long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I told you earlier that since the time of Christ, there have been about 750,000 days. And do you realize if Jesus had come back, I don't know how many years, 50 years ago is or 45 years ago is how many days it is but you know what if, if the Lord had come back back in the early 70's if the rapture had taken back in the earlier 70's Pastor Ron might not have made it y'all get my drift if the Lord had raptured his saints away 30 years ago you might not have been saved. Right? And so the Bible says that because of the long suffering of God, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He gives us time to get it right. He gives us time to repent. He gives us time to to make things right with Him. Well, that's the last days. And it shall come to pass in the last days. The passage now in its context that we read had to do with God pouring out His Spirit in the last days. That's a great, that's a great thing. The Bible tells us concerning the difference between when they lived Back in the Old Testament and when we live now. The Bible says we have a better covenant. With better promises. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now that has to be an obvious um, comparison there. To where the law was written in the Old Testament. Somebody tell me. Where was the law written in the Old Testament? On tables of stone. Am I right? The finger of God wrote the commandments and the law of God on stone. But here the Bible says there's going to be a new day. A new covenant. A better covenant. Established upon better promises. And the word of God and his law is going to be written in our hearts. In our minds, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and even more importantly, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And if there's anybody here who looked at that scripture and said, Well, that's not talking about us, that, that's talking about Israel, I would refer you when you have time to Romans 11, where the Bible tells us that that tree was cut down. And we who are Gentiles were grafted in to that same tree. So that includes us today. And the promise was this. And it will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now as I bring this to a close today, I'd like to share with you that God desires for us an intimate, not a casual relationship with him. How many of you all know what a casual relationship is? How many of you know what an intimate relationship is? Joy, stand up please. I have an intimate relationship with her. She's my wife. We've been together almost 42 years. I have an intimate relationship with my wife. If you believe that, say amen. Tony, would you stand up? I have a casual relationship with Tony. Right? My relationship with Tony's not intimate. And I don't want it to be. I have I have please think with me. I have an intimate relationship with my wife. I have a casual relationship with Tony. Thank you, both of you. Casual means. And I look this up because I'd like, before I play with words, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. The word casual from the dictionary means done without much thought, effort, or concern. Occurring without regularity. Known only superficially. Not planned or expected. So an intimate relationship, we get that, I think. A casual relationship is just something you don't think about. There's no effort involved. No real concern about it. It doesn't occur regularly. And you know somebody only superficially, not intimately. And I'll go back to the statement that I began with. God desires for us an intimate relationship with Him. If you believe that, would you say amen? I want to do that again. God desires for us An intimate relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. Now. How can we have. An intimate relationship. With the Lord. How is that possible? It is possible. Only because. He poured out His Spirit. Upon all flesh. And that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Only then. When He lives inside of us. Can we have that intimate, close fellowship with him? Before that, it was impossible. Jesus even said to his disciples, he said, I'm going away and you can't go with me. But it's expedient for you that I go away. That is, it's advantageous for you that I go away. And when I go away, the comforter will come, speaking of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of this promise. And here's what he said. He said, for I have been with you. But he, the Holy Spirit, shall what? Be in you. How many of you know there's a difference between being with somebody and being in somebody? Right? There's a difference. The two words mean two different things. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus was with his disciples. But the Holy Spirit was going to be in his disciples. And those are Jesus' words, not mine. Words that we need to absorb, think about, meditate on, and get the full meaning of that we can have an intimate relationship with God. Not a 10 million mile away God, but a right here, right now God. One that the songwriter, I believe, had in mind when he wrote these words. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share, as I tarry there, none other has ever known. That's an intimate relationship. Right? We can have that kind of relationship with God. Not only can we have that kind of relationship with God, we need that kind of relationship with God. And He knows that. That's why He provided the open door to intimacy with His people where He comes in and dwells in us. Now, there's a, there's a couple problems though. And the problems are on our end, not His end. The first example I'll use of a problem that we have in our intimacy with God is a plate, as you can see. First of all, let me ask you this question. Would you rather have a full plate or an empty plate? If you go to Olive Garden or... Why is it the world that all their restaurants just left my mind? Yeah, Outback, Golden Corral. If you go to those places, would you rather have a full plate or an empty plate? Oh boy, y'all in trouble. I'm going to open up a restaurant and sell nothing to see how many of you come. (laughs) No, you want a full plate, don't you? If you go somewhere to eat and you're going to pay the money, you don't want them to bring you two green beans, two little things of corn and a sliver of meat about like a razor blade. No, you want a full plate? We all like full plates. We like it that way, but I'm not talking about food right now. How many of you ever heard how many of you ever heard this phrase? My plate is full. My plate is so full. What's that mean it It doesn't have a thing to do with food, does it? No, it means I got so much stuff on my plate. My schedule is so full, I got too many things going on, my plate is so full, I don't have room for anything else. And if I were to ask you how many can identify with that, most of us would say, yeah, I got a full plate. What's always intrigued me, and I, I don't understand this yet because I haven't been there yet, but it intrigues me how retired people can have a full plate. 'Cause they work forty hours a week and they did all the things they need to do, but then when they get retired, they still don't have any any more time than they had before. They say, I'm busier than I've ever been. Ah, uh, maybe one day I'll know. But your plate's full. You get your plate full. Now you can feel you played up with a lot of things, right? You can feel you plate up with some work. You can fill your plate up with some television. You can fill your plate up with some Facebook. You can fill your plate up with some, what? Sleep. The yard work. Come on, help me. Fishing. What else? Grandbabies. See, the plate's getting full. I got all these things on my plate. The, I don't know how we could have done this in church, but what did we leave out the most important thing of all on our plates? Huh? God, where was God on our plates? I mean, he's the one who said, thou have shall have no other gods before me. Don't let anything get in front of me. You put me first priority in your life. That's what he's talking about. And then we don't have room for him on our plates. Because I've got to do this, 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 and this. I don't have time to pray. Did somebody say, oh me? I don't have time to read the Bible every day. My plate is full. Well, I'll tell you, if your plate is so full you don't have time to pray and you don't have time to read God's Word, then something needs to be taken off your plate. Amen. Starting to sound like an old-time preacher now, aren't I? But i, t- I just got to tell you, i got to be honest. I've been spending a whole lot of time the last several months trying to figure out there's something missing somewhere. There's something missing somewhere. And I've come to the conclusion that this is probably it. Because all of us can sit here and talk about the full plate and understand the concept of the full plate But it's going to be real easy for you to walk out and keep that plate just as full as it's ever been and still not give God the time for the things that He desires. Because I'm going to tell you, you've heard it takes two to tango. It takes two to be intimate. And God wants to fill us with His Holy Spirit so we can be intimate with Him the problem is not on his end, friends. The problem is on our end. We get our plate so full we have crowded him out of our lives. And I'll promise you Sunday morning and Wednesday night for the die hearts. That's not going to get it for a Christian. That's not going to give us what we need to endure to the end. With some of the things we're going to face as Christians. The full plate. That's a problem. The next thing. That I'd like to talk about briefly. Is the box. The box. Sometimes. Unwittingly. Not, not planning to do it this way. But here's what we do. We come to church on Sunday. And we're all about Jesus. And we walk out the door and we put Jesus in the box, put him on the shelf. You might put him in the back window of your car. I see a lot of Bibles there when I go to parking lots. And leave it until next week when I come to church again. Or my plate is so full that I've removed God from my plate and stored him somewhere off to the side. I got to tell you, when, when the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, that excludes the possibility of putting God in a box each week and forgetting about him until it's time to come to church the next Sunday. That won't work. That is not going to please God. Amen? He has to be front and center of our lives every day. You know what? For the people who put God in a box, here's what happens: you put him in a box and you put him on the shelf, and you don't think you need him too much today. I'm just going to work, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. So I put I put God on the shelf today, and something might happen that day you need God. I mean, you may need God big time. You may need him right here and right now. You might have an emergency and you need God right then. But he's not in you anymore. Because you put him in a box and set him aside. You've already been telling him for months. He's not that important to you. There's no room on your plate for him. So you separate your your life and you segment your life. On Sunday I'm this Christian. But all the rest of the week I'm just... I'm a, I'm a good person. But I don't need to read my Bible and... Talk to God? That's for fanatics. Praying? And all the while, God wants to dwell in us. He wants to pour His Spirit upon us. And the third thing I'd like to share with you by way of thinking, I happen to know that the red needle on my fuel gauge is on E right now. I noticed it this morning. Truck sitting out in the parking lot. It's on E. What does that mean? That means I better get some gas. Right? If I don't get some gas, I'm going to be walking. Because it's not good to go through life on E. But what about spiritually? Think of the fuel tank. The fuel tank can either be filled or the fuel tank can be empty. Or anywhere in between. And the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. There's no need for us to go through life empty. There's no need to go through life discouraged and dejected and depressed and down and dragging just to get through life. Oh my goodness. The the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He gives us victory. If we'll spend the time with him, we should make room for him on our plates, put him back in our hearts instead of in a box, and begin to treat him like we want to have a relationship with him. I'm going to tell you, it'll turn around in your life as an individual. Don't sit back and wait for it to turn around in everybody else's life. Well, if the church was more spiritual... Well, why don't you be more spiritual? Amen? It, it is an individual thing, am I right? And so instead of complaining about somebody else or complaining about the church as a whole, why don't we just get on fire together, let the Holy Spirit fill our hearts and our lives and be who God has called us to be? Amen? Yes. Well, I guess I better hush. We're going to sing this song and it'd be a wonderful thing, in my opinion, if God's word would impact our hearts today and the spirit of the Lord would deal with us as we sing this song. Here's one other thought that's been on my mind this week as I've studied this scripture. And in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall see visions and dream dreams and prophesy. Right? You know what that tells me? God wants to be so real in your life that he invades your dreams. God wants to be so real in your life that you could just be sitting anywhere and He could just reveal something to you and it play out in your mind. That's a vision. God wants to be so real to you that He, that, that you could not only hear His voice, but you could say, Speak to his word. What do you think happened to Peter one day? When he was walking down the road after he'd received this, this experience that we read about in Acts chapter 2. And he's walked by this lame man at the gate dozens of times before going to the temple. But on this particular day, what does he do? He says, listen, I'm sorry, I, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And, Pete, and, and that man, Peter lifted up his hand. I mean, that's pretty bold, isn't it? I expect some results here. I just reached in and grabbed his hand and pulled him up on his feet. And the man started walking and leaping and praising God and had had been lame for years. i tell you, it's real stuff. The Holy Spirit will invade your dreams. The Holy Spirit will give you visions. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. He'll use you. He'll encourage you. He'll fill you. He'll make your life worth living. He'll make it so you get up on Sunday morning and you can't wait to get to church to glorify His name with the saints. It won't be a habit, just a habit to come to church and it sure won't be a drudgery to come to church. You just can't wait to get there so you can sing with the people of God. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it can be when it's as real as God wants it to be. Because he poured out his spirit on all flesh. Yeah, there's a great day coming. A great day. It's it's a day where there's some great things on the good side that are going to happen. And there's some great things, huge things, on the negative side that are going to happen. Would you stand with me and sing this song?